And I am Aware Now. Aware Now, the official platform for causes. Tune in and turn it up as we raise awareness one story at a time for the causes that tie us all together. In 2009, for surfer John Rose, what started as a journey about surfing became a mission about service. While looking for perfect waves in Indonesia, he found his calling in Sumatra. His life of surfing would become a legacy of service with Waves for Water. A surfer, since the age of nine, the waves have called you all your life. In 2009, as a former pro surfer, retired at the age of 31, you found a new calling, John. Please share the story in Sumatra where Waves for Water began. Yeah, I will. Um, I'm happy to. Uh, it was uh, really a twist of fate more than anything. I mean, it, it didn't really begin in Sumatra because uh, I like to say the I, I had the idea, I had, I put the intention into the universe and then the universe validated it with an earthquake. <laughs> that was, that was in Sumatra. So that, I mean, I'll back, I'll back up and explain all that, but basically that's sort of what happened. It wasn't like this perfectly lined up thing where I started, I, I went and started this thing in Sumatra. I basically had this idea, you know, I was coming out of a surfing career, um, feeling a bit lost, you know, I was in a, in a, a failing marriage. Um, it, it, there was just a lot of transition going on and I had never really thought about what I was going to do after my surf career. I think a lot of athletes have that. Um, and I felt resourceful. I felt conscious. I felt all those things, but at the same time, I just, I, I was having an identity crisis. Um, I didn't know what I was without that career. And so I, I had this idea to sort of create this, this pet project organization, not, not a full, I didn't even know if I, I didn't even know what a 501c3 was. And I didn't really think about doing that. Uh, definitely not as a full-time job, definitely didn't have like big goals or aspirations for it. It was more just like, look, I've been to Indonesia a lot uh, throughout my surfing career. Same with South America, South Africa, places like that, that, that we had on tour. Um, and I'd seen the needs and wouldn't it be cool if we could go back there and help those places and surf. <laughs> right. So it was really selfishly motivated in the beginning. Um, it was super genuine in its in, intent to help, but mm -hmm. um, it was selfishly motivated in the sense that it was just gonna be this like, this vehicle to be able to go back to these, continue to go back to these places I loved and and surf. And, and whatever my next chapter was, is like, I wanted to stay connected to that and legitimately help them while we were there. So it was just this kind of idea. Mm -hmm. And um, I knew that I could get the surfing community around it. I knew I, I had some sway in that. And I just felt like this could be a cool little thing for us, like just a fun, fun, total pet project idea. And then, and, and that was in the spring of 2009. I, I think I incorporated the name. I didn't even apply for 51 c3 because i didn't even really know i needed to it was just more like a a name and okay and then we'll do what and we ch I chose water mostly because um two reasons because my father 
um, had been volunteering and doing some work around water in Africa uh, some years prior, and that put it on my radar, the, the cause itself. Um, and, and the other, most notably, is probably just because it seemed solvable to a non-expert like myself. It seemed like I could wrap my my arms around it and be and be like, no, this is this is doable. Not not that I could personally solve the whole entire crisis, but that I could make a dent. And and there's solutions and technology out there that exist, and the people who need them don't know about them, and vice versa. And it's just like there's a missing link in the chain. And and I wasn't an expert in in aid work or development work or anything like that but i i was an expert at at moving through the world so and i had been doing so from such a young age so i just i felt like oh i could put all these pieces together and that'll be what we do like we just basically are bridging that gap and we're we're able to implement these this technology and these solutions to places that need them and call it a day so um, research some water filtration systems that, that existed that, that would be potentially good solutions for places that don't have access to clean water, that don't have infrastructure. You know, really lo-fi, portable, um, no batteries, no machinery, no, none of that stuff. Just, just really user-friendly and, and effective. And bought 10 water filters with my own money. Went to Indonesia to, to, to kind of get away from home life a little bit. Um, I don't know, it was just this, this this culmination of, a friend of mine was going on this boat trip that we used to, we went on a lot during our surfing career and, and um, careers. And it's, it's one of my favorite places to surf. It's the Mentawai Islands off Sumatra. And, and it really was not a good time for me to go financially or anything, but he, he said one of the guys pulled out of his trip and you know I, I would pay less because that guy's deposit was already there. It was just all these little things. And I just, it felt sort of irresponsible to go, but I just, was, I also needed to leave, I needed to escape a little bit. And I was like, I just need to go clear my head, go to the, go back to the source, like go back to the place, one of the places that really fuels and feeds me and, and try, and then also while I'm there, I'll try this idea out. Mm -hmm. And and that was my, uh, that was all I really needed. I was just like, okay, this is great. I'll just do all this stuff. Um, and before I, I was going to go on the surf trip part, and then afterwards going to go to this other island I'd been to in years past where I knew the people and knew I could like try this idea. I knew they needed it. Mm -hmm. But before I was able to get to that island, um, I was caught in a 7.2 earthquake in the city of Padang, which is the capital city of Sumatra and also the main thoroughfare for those trips. And, um, I, you know, like building, we were staying, we were staying in fell. I wasn't in it, but, um, it was just like, um, I mean, I guess the best way to put it is like a Hollywood movie, like, like, um, it was death and destruction on a level that you don't see in real life. You just see it. And I know it happens in real life, but I just had never seen it. I had seen it in the movies, but, uh, it was, it was, uh, I, there's no way anybody can go through that without being hugely impacted. Um, and the combination of like where I was in my life with, with the fact that I had this other intention around helping in 
in this certain capacity, which was water. And I had these, these real tangible assets on me. I had these water filters that coupled with like other things within me that I didn't know I had um, certain character traits or just things that I guess I'd never been tested enough to know I had, or I didn't have. And I just, all that came together in that moment. And I, I basically was like the first responder, not, you know, sort of by accident, I guess, just cause I was there. Mm-hmm. Wasn't, I wasn't trying to be, <laughs> um, but just common sense mode kicked in and, and I just started acting in real time in this super hyper speed because of the nature of the experience itself it, it, it's and and what the environment was was like and um i you know i spent about 30 hours on the ground just implementing those 10 filters to different relief centers and not not at all i mean totally green with aid work like i said in development work but also disaster response uh, all that stuff was just i'd never done it before but then I, all of a sudden i just found myself rising to the occasion of just making decisions and and some some of the hardest decisions i've ever made in my life in the in those 30 hours you know where you're you're just a human being like like everybody else but you're actually deciding the fate of other people's lives around you because these people are trapped under rubble over here and they're screaming for you you can hear them but you can't you can't go get them out because they're under slabs of concrete the size of cars and we don't have heavy lifters so do you walk away from that because you know you can you can implement these filters over here that are going to help all these people Mm -hmm. and how do you reconcile that and 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 you just it just gets so real so fast and and it's stayed with me for a long time a lot of these experiences i've had i've had you know, probably 30, 30 different disasters, 27, um, that I responded to since the start of Waves for Water. This was the first one and always being confronted with, with decisions like this. So, um, but also really, truly knowing that I'm equipped to handle that and make that choice, um, as hard as it may be. So, um, that was the, the birth of Waves for Water, at least in the physical form, like the, the action of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I came home from Indonesia, a completely changed man. Um, I was so clear, laser focused, uh, just everything was, everything was crystallized for me. I was just like, okay, this is what I'm here to do. This is why I'm here, period. And, wow. and I got forced and I, I, I just, I just made these moves, you know, like, and I just was like, look, I was barely trying. This was like a fun little idea. What if I tried? Oh man. So I came home <laughs> and did all, you know, got a WordPress site up, applied for my 501c3 status, which I got in a month, um, which is unheard of. Like, yeah. I, I just, yeah, I, I think because I had already in the narratives part of the application, I, it was about what I had already done, not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. maybe they looked at that I don't know that's what I think because it was just, we I got that I got the certification so fast and and that was October of 2009 I came home fundraised with friends to just I just wanted to get back to Sumatra mm-hmm. and got as many filters as I could like I think 300 or something went straight back in December helped uh that, that same you know population and then 
was in uh, actually at a friend's house in Hawaii um, after Sumatra um, the second time and was just kind of decompressing. I didn't really have a home actually at that point because um, everything had like separated at, at home. And, um, and then the Haiti earthquake happened 2010, um, uh, January 12th. And I was, it was like January 13th and I was sitting on my friend's couch and I got a phone call from somebody who, just a random call from somebody who was putting together a team of uh, humanitarian aid workers and relief workers to go respond to Haiti. Um, and they had seen some press on what happened to me in Sumatra because it was kind of a lot of press on it because it was such a crazy thing that I was there. Yeah. And uh, they said, is what you did in, in Sumatra viable for Haiti? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Um, and they said, you want to go tomorrow? And I said, yep. And I, and I went for, I thought I was gonna go for two weeks and I stayed for two years. And that's where I built Waves for Water. That, that is like if Sumatra, if the idea was, if the inception was in the spring of 09 and then it came to sort of fruition in Sumatra, then Haiti was the exclamation point where you, you, you really formally say this is who i am this is what i'm doing this is what we're doing this is the you know really building the organization that it is today wow wow that is an incredible story um you know i so let me pause a moment by saying true story i've never surfed uh but i imagine that balance is very important on the board um when it comes to waves for water your focus is on correcting the imbalances for water scarcity. So to get a little bit deeper into your work, how is it that you do this? Tell us about your actual work that you do. Yeah, um, so we, we're so laser focused, right? We provide access to clean water and we do that. So the water crisis, the global water crisis is two pronged. It's, it's a humanitarian side of things and there's an environmental side of things. So the environmental side would be like, conservation, preservation, you know, dealing with pollution, stuff like that, um, our oceans. Um, we're not on that side really at all. Uh, we, it does carry over a little bit, like some of our inter interventions do have an impact on the environment, but, but we're focused on stopping senseless sickness and death due to waterborne illnesses. Like that is it. So we go into places that don't have infrastructure or have very limited infrastructure and we, we intervene. And we intervene through um, portable or portable and and non-portable larger scale water filtration systems, mm -hmm. um, through rainwater harvesting, and through the the implementation and restoration of borehole wells like hand pumps. Mm -hmm. So those are the three main categories of like how we provide access to clean water. Mm -hmm. um, it, it really depends on the place. So we go in and do a needs assessment on a place, on an area that we're gonna be working. We figure out what, what the missing pieces are like, what, you know, what they really need. Maybe they have access to water, but it's just not clean. Maybe they don't have access to water at all. So we have to create a, create a source and then make sure it's clean. So um, it, it comes down to our needs assessment and then, and then the budget obviously of wh whoever's paying for the projects because we don't pay for, for anything. We, I mean, we don't fund projects. We are the implementing partner always. So it's our program. And, and whether that's a corporation doing a CSR, 
you know, wanting to do a CSR initiative, uh, corporate social responsibility, or a, a larger NGO that's sort of subcontracting us out for our water program because we're specialized, mm -hmm. um, or an individual donor that just is really compelled to help a certain area, or or a government agency. I mean, we we partnered with all of them, and we mm -hmm. continue to, and it just depends on the the nature of the project. So, you you basically take that budget and you um, you match it with the needs assessment and and then you you come up with this plan right you know you come up with so we, we we operate a lot more like contractors actually than yeah. than like a standard a standard charity which i like because it's um super transparent it's super straightforward it's really like look this is a service and somebody needs this and we're we're providing that service and so it's really clear cut it's like Okay, based on our needs assessment, we can provide this many people with access to clean water in this amount of time. This is how we're going to do it. Here's the timeline. Here's the budget. Here's the deliverables. Here's all of it. And it's sort of presented to the partner. And then once they once they agree, if they if they do, then we're off and running and we get to work. Wow, I, I love that. Um, so, yeah, laser focus for sure. Um, you know, so your and and so I mentioned to you this uh, a moment ago, your conversion from awareness of a problem to action with a solution is, again, beyond inspiring, especially when you understand that the need is so great in all of these circumstances. So question for you is, you know, while others would walk away from these kinds of issues, these kinds of situations, you run toward them so when the flames of all this overwhelming duty go out for so many others what is it that inspires you to keep doing this work what is it that keeps your fire lit hmm. that's a really good question and i and i know the answer and it's a probably not one that you'd expect but um i've thought about this a lot because i have this like insatiable drive and um it comes from my professional surfing career it comes from being a, pro a professional athlete and being mm -hmm. super competitive <laughs> so i'm not necessarily competitive with other people or with other organizations i'm like com i'm competing against the cause itself and i want to beat i want to beat it like i want to win and it's so it's so like that's just ingrained in me. That's the way I am with everything I do. I am a competitive person. I like to I like to tackle it, you know? And so it's and with something this big, there's it's never ending. So I mean it's it is it, it there is an end in sight. I mean like we can solve the the global water crisis in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. It is solvable, but it's such a big task that needs all hands on deck. And I just I don't know how to stop. Like, I don't know how to not do it. You know, I just feel completely um, this, this like almost aggressive drive within me um, that I know does come from like being a competitive athlete. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say this is, this is um, an incredible addiction. If that's, you know, what this is, yeah, this totally. need to serve. Uh, if there's addiction to be had, this is, this is it. You've nailed it. Um, you know, so in life, as we know, there are way more variables than constants. 
However, for the many variables you've been faced with, John, it's water that has always been your constant. So from your surfing to the service of others, it's been your common denominator. So I wondered if you could share two of your favorite moments with water, one on your board as a surfer, and then one on the ground with waves for water. Mm. Um, yeah, so I'll start with the waves for water one. Um, I, it was when I went back to Sumatra the second time, um, and I was out in a rural area teaching this family how to catch rainwater with just a tarp and ropes and, and they didn't have a roof to, to capture any of the water, any rain that would come and no gutters and no tanks or anything like that. But there, there was this old kind of cistern that had no top on it. That was a cement cistern that was like near their house, near their little hut. And then we, I, we were like, oh, well, let's just try with a huge, you know, industrial tarp to like create this catch with ropes against palm trees and stuff um, so that it funnels into the cistern. And so anytime it rains, they could just like roll it down and catch it, you know, just, just trying out things. I mean, I was brand new to this. So I was just thinking, no, this would be cool. Like a little hack, you know, um, it hadn't rained in eight months. So it was more like just a, like a assumption or sort of like the theoretical challenge, like would this work, you know, but, but we didn't know. And, um, we, we put the, you know, it took a bit cause obviously, and I didn't climb the trees. I don't know how to climb palm trees. Um, but, uh, the, the local, the, the, the father, the husband of the family climbed up these trees and, and, uh, you know, fastened the ropes and we rolled it out. I'm like, I think that'll work. And it started raining. What? It hadn't rained in eight months. It just like out of nowhere, just started raining and, and it was, it was so like cosmic and magical and, um, it, it, they were tripping. I was tripping. And also we got to like, literally see it work. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and so then they started yelling, Ujon, Ujon. And, and I, and my name's John and it's J O N and Ujon means rain in their local dialect. So they were like, Ujon, Ujon, Ujon. <laughs> it was so cool. It was just like this crazy thing. And then, it, and then it stopped raining, you know, and then it went back to sun. Like it was just this crazy talk about validator, you know? Um, oh my gosh, that is just like, you can't even make these kinds of things up. That's wild. Wow. Yeah, no, I know. Such a, such a, I, I have photos, I think, somewhere of that. Um, and then surfing, uh, I think, I think surfing, the best way to put it for me, it was like, it became my job and, and I have so many amazing memories, so many amazing waves and, and memorable moments in that way. But I think it was my first love, you know, it was my, it was my first passion, my first thing that like, I just, that was bigger than me that I really could like dive into at, at a really young age. And I think when I, when that clicked for me at around 10 and then it was like that same insatiable kind of drive that I have with waves for water. I mean, I had that came from that, from being a 10 year old and like 
just being so driven and wanting to do that every day, all day and wanting to make it my career. And, um, but I, I think less of a, a singular moment, but more of like this just incredible appreciation for this, this thing, this like art form, this expression and this, this f like friend, you know, when you're, when you're young and you're trying to figure out your life and who you are and you, you have this like best friend that's that can all you can always count on to be there for you and and that in, in the ocean is like so healing in that way and you go out and, and it just and actually physiologically it's been proven like the salt water balances your alkaline levels and you um you just come out feeling more balanced and so i think to be able to have that at such a young age was it, it's so special it's so special to be able to have something that is like uh your balancer and your this like barometer to 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 keep you centered you know and mm -hmm. i think that was something that really ended up informing and defining my life thereafter and and um not just as a surfer, but just as a human. And I think that's the the relationship I have with water. And that, on that side of things is like, it's priceless. You know, it's it's mm -hmm. the thing that kind of like, like made me whole, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so I'd, uh, I'd like to say again that uh, I've never surfed, but, but I have always wanted to, I've, I've really, always wanted to a bit scared I guess um for those wanting to take a chance in life but who are held back by fear what advice would you have John what advice oh um I just was confronted with this uh this past week in Alaska and I've gotten really into uh mountaineering and in, in like uh backcountry adventures and ski, uh, I snowboard, but it's called split boarding where you, you, your board goes into like skis and you have, um, you put skins on the bottom and you, you move through the mountains that way. And then when you get to the top of the lines, you want to ride, you put your board together and ride down. So this is like my new, one of my new sporting, at least passions in that way. And, um, you know, I think pushing yourself out of like, so in this last week in Alaska, I was, I was really pushing myself and outside of my comfort zone. And I think I've always, at an early age, I realized that um, discomfort, but most most notably like associated associated with comfort zone. So like mm -hmm. like what you're comfortable with, that being outside your comfort zone is literally the the ingredients or the the recipe for growth um for personal growth so like once i realized that i i just made decisions based on that on that recipe so if it didn't feel uncomfortable then i wouldn't do it if it felt uncomfortable i would go towards it because i knew the return i was going to get personally so i would say to people who are looking at like i'm 44 i just was in alaska doing something that felt so outside my comfort zone but i and I was, I was, I had fear every day at certain, certain times, but like to push through that fear, a, to 
to put yourself in a position where you even have that level of fear is rare to to do that every day and push and then push through it and overcome it is so huge it's so important for our own personal growth and i would just say like if you're feeling uncomfortable about things so there's a fine line right like right. there's there's this sweet spot and you want to toe that line you don't want to go like so uncomfortable where something dangerous or bad can happen you know that's that's not what i'm saying either but it's like if you can understand and and sort of go well this feels uncomfortable but i know i can do it i know i actually physically or mentally am capable of doing it but it's really hard and challenging i should do it if you just trust that then you will have incredible return um, if you just continue to do things that are comfortable that's fine too i just I, i'm sorry you just you're not gonna your growth personal growth trajectory is just not going to be the same right right so well you lean, lean into it a little bit like it's as uncomfortable as it is that's how you know it's the right thing to do <laughs> That, and that's such great advice. It's funny too, because you're talking about like your return on investment for that, for taking that challenge, taking that on. This makes me think people are always thinking about return on investment. What about like, instead of ROI, what if it's ROF, like return on fear, like that you're facing, right? Yeah. Um, return on challenge. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this opportunity to connect, John, to share your story. Thank you for helping all of us become a bit more aware now. Thank you so much. Sure. Tune into our podcast, subscribe to our magazine, find us and join us online. Visit IamAwareNow.com. We will no longer wait for permission to change the world. Together, we are aware now.